Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I am always grateful that people are out there listening to me gab away. So thank you for being here. Today's guest is Laura Murphy, who is the Director of Education and Awareness for IAPMD, which I was so grateful to find. That is the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders. She lived for 17 years undiagnosed with PMDD and is now passionate about raising awareness and standards of care for those with PMD. D. PMDs. I guess there are a couple. Anyway, I had such a huge response when I came out and talked about my PMDD. And then I had my episode with Dr. Cohen, and I got even more emails from all of you. And I was kind of blown away by it because, to be honest, I I felt really alone. Um, And I felt alone, honestly, until I discovered IAPMD. uh, and, And as soon as I have time, I am going to help them raise awareness that is on my list of things to do. But it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. And Laura has had the experience and now works to advocate for PMDD for women. So I think you'll find this interview really interesting. I do have to tell you, in the middle of the interview, her husband fell off a roof and he was fine, (laughs) totally fine. But there were a few distractions and uh, Laura held it together and we finished the podcast. So, you know, if you feel that there's some choppy parts, that may be why, but my wonderful editor usually can put this together and so you won't even know, but thankfully Laura's husband is okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're talking again about hormones, but I promise you that with each of these episodes, there's a reason that we're doing that. We're touching on different areas of hormones, and I'm very excited today to welcome Laura Murphy to the show. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you decided to come on. And um, I want to let you know that I discovered the IAPMD organization from Facebook groups. A very desperate time, I was looking for support and group support. And uh, I started to follow the group. And then I followed you guys on Instagram. And, and I was so relieved to learn that there was something being done about PMDD because I think a lot of people aren't even aware that it's a thing. So I, first I want to just go 
dive in a little bit and tell me about your own journey with PMDD and what got you involved in this? Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, my PMDD, I now know, started when I was around 17 years old. I'm now 41. I took the contraceptive pill for 21 days. And on the 21st day, when you switch to the sugar pills, I just had this almighty drop and was having panic attacks for the first time. I was hyperventilating. I went into a very deep depression for about six months. And from then on in for the next few years, it was longer periods of depression, panic attacks. I was diagnosed with panic disorder. I knew I got really bad PMS and I knew that something was up, but I thought it was more of a personality flaw than anything else really in my 20s it became a bit more pronounced I remember my ex-partner saying to me you know it's like different with a living with a different person for one week a month and still you know the the penny didn't really drop I honestly just thought I had bad PMS and I was just a really bad person I couldn't control this rage that was kind of happening and I still didn't quite pin it to the cycle it's really strange how Looking back, that <laughs> didn't occur to me. By the way, you're not alone. Do you know how many women will be like, I'm acting crazy this week and I don't know what's wrong with me. And then I'm like, and I'll say, are you getting your period? And they'll say, oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, and these are women in their 40s who have been getting their periods since they were 12 or 13. And I think if your period, you know, my, my periods was all fairly, you know, normal, whatever that is. But, you know, they came and went. I took painkillers. You know, the actual sort of period was nothing out of the ordinary. I didn't have severe pain or anything. You know, it wasn't fun, but it was okay. So they just kind of came and went and I didn't kind of patch it together. It was in my 30s when I had the marina coil fitted. It was kind of forced on me, really. And for the first couple of years, it was kind of okay. And then I just had an almighty crash and was suicidal essentially for about 18 months I was very poorly I began to experience anxiety which I've never had I've had panic attacks before but I've never had anxiety and yeah I was on nerve numbing medication Um, I was waking up every morning shaking and I was going to the doctor and she was saying no you know it can't go into your bloodstream it's very localized there's no way this can happen so again I just thought it was me I thought I was depressed because, you know, I was in my 30s and I'd never really got anywhere career-wise and I was having to live back with my parents because I wasn't very well all the time. And um, it was only through um, going to see a counsellor, actually. She's the one that picked up on it. My doctor, I saw her and she said, you know, it's just PMS, something everyone has. You just have to learn to live with it. And it was my counsellor, a therapist, through seeing her that she said you know I'm seeing you every month and this isn't just PMS and you know I went home and I got on Dr Google and I found out about PMDD and that you know we call it the light bulb moment and I began reading about PMDD and like you say I joined some Facebook support groups and through there it's kind of um where the sort of learning journey started really. I've already covered this on other podcasts, but can you give a quick definition of what PMDD really is compared to PMS? 
Yeah, sure. So um, PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's a hormone-based mood disorder which affects around 1 in 20 women and those who are assigned female at birth. Um, it's a essentially a severe form of PMS, but the two can't really be compared. PMDD is life-disrupting by definition. It interrupts and um, interferes with your work, home, education, and relationships. It's different for everybody. People do have different time frames in the way it affects them. So it only affects people in the luteal phase. So that means from between ovulation until around the time of your period. So some people suffer for the whole two weeks a month. Some people it might be longer if they have um, more irregular periods or a longer cycle. But there is always a symptom-free patch after your period until you next ovulate. It's a spectrum disorder, so some people have mild symptoms, some people have moderate, and some have severe. I want to go back to your story, too, before we get into talking a little bit about IAPMD, which is the organization that you're involved with. Before I get to that, I just wanted to say that I, um, I, I, I was so glad to hear what your description just now, because... I was never able to explain it to friends or family because I typically start feeling really bad around ovulation, like four days around ovulation, and then get maybe a few days off and then PMS starts. And at different stages of my life, it's it's been worse than that. It's been really a whole month of feeling miserable and having two days where I felt normal. That was before I got a grasp on regulating my cycle a while ago after children. It does disrupt your life. I had moments where I couldn't, I like literally couldn't go out anywhere or do anything social or be around people. And that's not me. And sometimes I would push through and then I had to learn, you know what, no plans. And I think that I don't think people really got it. And I still think it's something that people are not aware of or women themselves are not aware of within their own bodies. And it's so hard to explain. I think probably with so many conditions, unless you you live with it and you live through it, it's incredibly difficult to explain to other people. You know, I think really bad PMS doesn't do it justice. You know, there's the whole PMS on steroids. That one comes up a lot. I, I, I say crack. On crack. Yes, yeah, someone did say that. That's far more appropriate. Um, yeah, that's on crack. I tend to say for people who have sort of no clue about it, and it's not very, you know, detail accurate, but I say, oh, it's a bit like bipolar, but with hormones. And then people are a bit like, oh, okay, it's serious. Well, and a lot of women with PMDD get diagnosed with bipolar. I know that I was diagnosed a few times with bipolar. I kept saying to doctors, I don't really fit that description and I think it was just kind of a blanket, well, I don't know what's going on with you otherwise, you know. I think that, yeah, the menstrual cycle just isn't taken into account. And we see that a lot of people are either misdiagnosed with PMDD, or sorry, misdiagnosed with PMDD when they actually have bipolar. There's people that are misdiagnosed with bipolar when they actually have PMDD. And some people have bipolar disorder and have PME. Premenstrual exacerbation, PME, is the exacerbation of an existing disorder um, that occurs within the premenstrual phase. So that can be any other, any condition. It can be borderline personality disorder, fibromyalgia, MS, ME, bipolar disorder, absolutely anything, you know, skin conditions that can flare in that phase before your period. So we do see, yeah, people 
it can be really hard to unpick whether you have PMDD or PME and bipolar, or you could have both. You know, there's nothing to say you couldn't have both. So it's really important to see a sort of qualified psychiatrist in that instance to get a proper differential diagnosis. Okay. So let's go back to you looked up PMDD. What happened then after you discovered that's what you had? I did lots of reading and I think I also buried my head in the sand a bit. I was still having, you know, good weeks and just trying to ignore it and probably a bit self-destructive still going out and enjoying myself in the good weeks and probably, you know, self-medicating a bit too much in the bad weeks, going out and partying and but I think um, I just like to read. I was one of those people. I was like, I want to understand it. And I joined a UK specific PMDD group. And like you say, connected with other people, realized that I wasn't a bad person, that this was a real thing, that these stories and experiences are just so aligned with other people. You know, looking back the relationship breakups, the not being able to hold down a job, sobbing in the work toilets and I think I saw the doctor again and was sent away with a PMS leaflet which is really helpful you know have your evening primrose oil and try and have a nice bath kind of thing time to yourself which really just did not cut it it just kept getting worse I was in my mid-30s by that point and I tracked my cycle you know I downloaded the tracker information and I tracked my cycle and then I hit a real low point. At, th- at that point in my 30s, I was sort of, you know, losing well over a week every month. And it was getting worse all the time to the point where it just felt like someone had died every month. It was literally like going through a bereavement. It was exhausting. Everything just would tip on its head. And it would just, I don't even know how. I think the only way I can describe it is if if you've ever got that phone call with bad news and your heart drops and, you know, your world is just pulled out from under your feet, it would just feel like that. And you knew it wasn't real and it was hormones and it would pass. I always explained it as just kind of waiting for like uh, kind of at the top of the roller coaster and then going down. And And my other description is, you know, it's like crawling out of quicksand every day, trying to like, it's like you're trying, but you keep getting pushed down. Yeah. The fatigue was a lot. I used to get hypersomnia. So sleeping too much, like I couldn't stay awake for a day. I'd have two or three naps. I literally just couldn't keep my eyes open. It was the kind of sort of tiredness you can't push you with caffeine. And if you did try that, then the anxiety would ramp up. So you'd have right, more right. palpitations, you know, you, your body's kind of like fighting against itself. Just utter, utter exhaustion. And I hit a real low point and don't know how to describe it safely, but almost took my life um, very much on the spur of a moment. And it was at that moment, my partner sort of said, you know, we really got to get you to the doctor now. And I went to see my GP and she sort of finally listened. I'd found the name of a specialist in the UK, Dr. Benet, who's very well sort of known internationally. And I got a referral to him. It's the way it works in the UK. And, you know, three months later, sort of sat in front of him. And it's very much, I actually just listened to your previous podcast when you said you sat in front of the doctor and it was the first time, you know, anyone had ever said, you know, yeah, this sounds 
all very, you know, on the ticket, you know, he just let me talk for about five minutes. And he said, you know, this is very textbook PMDD, like tick, 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 you know, started in adolescent, worsened as you got older, reacted badly to the progesterone, to the marina. I personally didn't do very well on all the contraceptive pills. I did okay on SSRIs for for quite a while. I think that held it back a lot in my 20s. I saw him, so he's based in London. And through that, then I started on like cycle suppression using HRT. So I tried that for about a year or so. Can you explain Um, what that is? Yeah, so essentially it's, um, it's the next step up from taking the pill. You want to suppress your ovulation. So with PMDD should have mentioned this, it's a hormone sensitivity to the natural fluctuations that occur in your in your luteal phase. So what they're trying to do is flatten out that ovulation so it's just a straight line. You know, you want your hormones to not be up and downing. So if the pill doesn't work, then the next stage in the UK, it's still um, not quite there, rolled out in America yet. But um, under some providers in the UK, you go to using HRT, so estrogen patches or gel, and then a form of progesterone ADVAC, usually for about 10 days a month. So I I tried that at different levels, and unfortunately, it it didn't work for me. It didn't suppress my ovulation. So then I went on to GnRHA treatment. So that's chemical menopause, where you are given injections, in my case, monthly, to put you in a a temporary and reversible state of of menopause. Unfortunately, that didn't work for me either. I ovulated through nine months worth. I had a very bad reaction to the chemical menopause and was pretty poorly and had to give up work. It was a very, very hard year. It was very difficult. I was having about three good days a month and sort of 24, 25 bad days of of PMDD-like symptoms. So in the October of that year, I had the um, surgery, which is the last line in treatment for PMDD. And surgery, you mean you mean hysterectomy? Actually, so the hysterectomy is the important part of the surgery. It's bilateral oophorectomy. So that's ovary removal. So yeah. it puts you into surgical menopause. If you don't do well on progesterone, like I didn't, then you have the hysterectomy in addition. But say someone did well on progesterone, HRT, then they would... I say only, it's not minor by any means, but they would only have ovary removal. So you can't be on, it's called unopposed estrogen. So you couldn't just have estrogen if you have a uterus because it can be really dangerous. It can lead to hyperplasia, like the the buildup of the uterine cells, which can then lead to cancer. So if like me, you don't do well on the progesterone and it brings back PMDD-like symptoms, Obviously, it would be pointless having the surgery. <laughs> right. So take away your ovaries and then put back the the uh, the symptoms manually. I had it's called a uh, total abdominal hysterectomy with bilateral salpingo oophorectomy. So that's your ovaries removed, your tubes, your uterus, and my cervix as well. So that again, I didn't need progesterone treatment. So pretty major pretty invasive. Yeah. Um, By the way, I've called my doctor and said, take it all out, take it out. Yeah. I can't do this every month. So yeah. I understand, you know, if you get to that level, uh, you know, I'm not at that level yet. When you had the surgery, did you find relief? Was this, was this the answer? The actual surgery is only about 50% of 
the treatment, as it were, for, for PMDD. The other sort of 50% is on the other side. So it's time, patience, and it's about getting a steady dose of hormones at the right level to protect you and protect your bones and your lung and your heart health. So for me, it's definitely been a bumpy journey. So I'm three years post-op now. I have no regrets. It was the only thing left for me and my tank was empty. Like I had nothing left to give. And by the time I had the surgery at 37, you know, I was losing half, half a month every month and was getting so low that, you know, I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't work and I couldn't function. And, you know, it's, it's certainly not something to be taken lightly. I want to stress that it really is, you know, when, for me, it was like, there's, there's nothing else left and I have no energy left to keep fighting this. So if it works, then awesome. I can't keep going on the way I'm going. That was kind of the decision made for me. I mean, it's a big decision. It puts you in surgical menopause, which has to be managed long-term as well. And much the same as PMDD, it can be really hard getting the right help for that. But you feel better than you did. Goodness, yes. Good. <laughs> yes, it's still, so it's, it still has its moments. I still cycle a little bit. They don't quite understand why that happens. I still cycle to my exact dates, and uh, which isn't uncommon. And when you say you cycle, meaning that you, you feel symptoms even though you have... Yeah, there's no ovaries sending the signals. <laughs> it's more like PMS now. Like I get hungry and I have cravings. And there might be a couple of days a month where I get really tired and I just have to really sleep. Anxiety and sort of irritability, but nothing like PMDD, like nothing. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so yeah, happy to hear that. A better place to be for sure. I just told Laura that I never, I never ever want to say that something's working until it's been months because I feel like I'll jinx it. So, and, and I've done this before, but I just started taking the pill continuously and it's the first month I haven't had a period. And I like, actually it, it should be day five today. And I woke up with energy. And so I'm like, maybe, maybe this is going to be the answer, but I'm not, I need, I need to get through that three months first to see if I'm really, if it's helping, but it must be such a relief for you, even though you still have some of it, but just to, to know that it was something that you could tackle and good for you for advocating for yourself and for going through that. That that's, that is not easy stuff to go through uh, either with the PMD or, or, or post but it's really strange i think it's probably one of the only conditions you know in like you were saying about all the the peer support groups on facebook i don't know many conditions that when you know you get approved for the surgery everyone's like congratulations that's amazing (laughs) because you know it's and at the time i remember being really annoyed when people are like congratulating me and i was like this isn't like (laughs) yeah no this is hard this isn't this isn't something that's taken lightly no but it's like it's an end in sight I think you know that's what people want to cheer and I totally appreciate that but it's not a good place to be having to choose between you know fertility and your life you know your mental health your well-being and thankfully for me you know I'd already I was 37 I'd made the decision I didn't want to have children it was a lot easier but for other people who are making the choice you know between being well and losing fertility I mean that's that's huge and we need better options and more research so that people don't have to keep going through this you know that was it was my 
journey and born at a, a space and time where that was the only option left. But we're hoping, you know, in the future that people don't have to go through that because it is invasive and it is dangerous and surgical menopause is not a fun run either so yeah hoping uh improvements are to come oh good okay i want to i i do want to get into that in um in a minute so it's interesting i i know that you didn't have kids and i i have two kids and and i've mentioned this on a solo podcast but when i got pregnant with my daughter after three months of pregnancy, I had never felt that good in my entire life. I had, my anxiety was low, things rolled off my shoulders, I was sleeping better than I ever had, I was constantly struggling with constipation and that was no longer a problem, I was calm, I had no irritability, and I was naive because I was like, oh, pregnancy is great. This is great. I feel terrific. I didn't. Yeah. This pregnancy has fixed me. It was more like I wasn't thinking, why has this pregnancy fixed me? I just felt like, oh, I, maybe I was so euphoric about having a child. And very shortly after I gave birth, somebody had come in to talk to me about postpartum depression. And I looked at them and said, oh, I don't need that information. I'm fine. But four days later, when my milk came in, my world shattered and I struggled. I struggled for two years with that. So when I got pregnant again with my son, I went through the same experience again, feeling wonderful. And at that point, I said to my doctors, I'm not breastfeeding when I'm done. I'm, I'm taking the pill in the hospital and I'm going to take it continuously. And I'm not going to like, I, I now know that I benefit from these hormones. So I need to mimic those in my body. And it, that actually did help me a lot. I was much better off after my son. And my husband at one point joked that he's like, well, maybe you should be a surrogate. And I was like, that's not funny. Maybe you should just be pregnant all the time. Logic. Yeah. <laughs> I understand his logic too. But I, at that time in my life, I, uh, I did not think it was funny. But. but we hear that a lot. We do hear that a lot that, you know, people, uh, and I mean, not everyone with PMDD has the same experience, I have to say, but a lot of people do have the experience, you know, the pregnancy is a really happy, calm time because there's no fluctuations. Your levels are all high. There's no, you know, monthly ups and downs and surges, you know, everything is just riding high. And then once that um, cycle starts back again, like you say, once you have your ovulation or hormone drop, then that's when the, the issue occurs. So tell me a little bit about the organization that you work for. You're the Director of Education and Awareness for IAPMD. What is IAPMD? What does that stand for? And what, what got you involved in this? Okay, so uh, we are the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders. So that covers both PMDD and PME, which we talked about earlier, premenstrual exacerbation. Uh, we focus on the exacerbation of psychiatric disorders, so um, borderline personality disorder, um, schizophrenia, anxiety, bipolar, anything that's under the sort of psychiatric umbrella. Um, it started back in 2013 when um, two people met each other. Um, Amanda Lefleur and Sandy McDonald met each other, both talking to each other in closets, at, you know, one in uh, Colorado and one in Canada, up in Halifax, met on a peer support group, got talking. We're just both very passionate about creating something that needed to exist for them as patients at the time because there wasn't really anything representing them 
So um, they formed the National Association of Premenstrual Dysphoric Disorder, so NAPMDD, and that then evolved over the last few years. Um, and in 2018, we went international. So um, we're now the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders. I became involved about three and a half years ago. I had started a patient-led awareness campaign called Vicious Cycle. And through that, I then started chatting and getting involved with NAPNDD at the time. I joined their board of directors and then I started volunteering. So I used to run the social media and then I started running the social media. Then I helped with some other projects um, going on, project coordinating and then director of education and awareness. Um, So, yeah, we offer peer support, which is invaluable to people with PMDD, um, speaking to other people that understand it. I don't think anyone can understand it unless you've been through it. So we have trained peer support providers that can talk people through their journey, give them tools they need, resources, information and a friendly ear, essentially. Our website is, you know, a really good hub of information to, you know, help get yourself diagnosed, to learn more about PMDD. We're just building out sections for um, younger people with PMDD because, you know, their journey is a bit different to being older, you know, relationships and dating and education, etc. So uh, we're very much um, trying, you know, to work with um, providers and the scientific community to push for more research, to push for better patient outcomes. So we're working on some advocacy at the moment and we have some really exciting news, which I cannot tell you yet because we haven't released it. But um, we've got some massive work coming along about um, patient outcomes. Do you feel that there's been a movement in treatment for this that you feel, uh, whether it's research or from what you have discovered through clients or the women that come to you guys, is are we going in a direction where there's something maybe less drastic than surgery? They are working on, I think the, the, the first port of call, they're trying to locate the biomarkers so that PMDD could buy, be diagnosed by a blood test, which would be amazing. That's not going to happen, you know, in the really near future but people are working on it there's also some work going on about brain scans to um, be able to see what is actually happening in the brain when that switch occurs so when you know when that feeling lifts I'm sure you you know the feeling well that when you come on your period or within a few days of coming on your period and that mood just kind of lifts you know it just you kind of feel yourself going back to normal like the color returning they're trying to sort of figure out what's actually happening in the brain when when that happens. Um, Sweden just did a massive piece of work on a drug called sopranolone, which targets the exact um, area in the brain, the exact mechanism that causes PMDD. So that just went through um, second stage of clinical trials. And in April, they announced that sadly, they weren't continuing with the developments due to um, a high placebo rate in the second phase. However, I think it is a really, really good step in the right direction um i think better times are definitely coming you know and you have to remember you know pmdd has probably existed forever oh yeah i mean obviously and and you know it's so funny i say this all the time i'm like you know men had erectile dysfunction and all of a sudden there were pills and treatments that were you know it's, it's a i would imagine multi-billion dollar industry women 
are just kind of looked at like you're crazy. I feel so empowered to learn that there are women that are, are th- what you guys are doing and and fighting for this for other women because it's just, you know, and I talked about on my podcast with Dr. Cohen, I said, I, I really feel that medical providers are in the dark on this. They just don't understand. Are you, do you do anything to help educate medical providers? We do. So we are just working on um, patient outreach programs at the moment very exciting and that will tie into the the big announcement that we have coming but yeah we're definitely working on I think as our um clinical advisory board lead has said you know we are doing a really great job of making like thousands of patient experts but that's no good if they're going to providers and getting turned away if they're not getting the right care so I mean that happens so much and I think you know PMDD has you know it's existed for years it only became an official diagnosis in 2013 so it's is still relatively new. The process needs accelerating, which is what we're working towards. Because you know the, it will happen, but we want it to happen quicker. Right. I was so happy to hear when it became a diagnosis. It was uh, controversial at the time, but I think it does. And it's now um, since I think it was this year as well. Maybe I think it maybe last year um, added to the ICD-11. So it's now an international diagnosis. Worldwide. Yes. So why I mean, was it controversial? Um, because it's a psychiatric book of diagnosis and there's lots of people and um, there's papers on it. People felt that it was More pathologizing, pathologizing yeah, the female experience. So, you know, you are you're putting women with PMS in a psychiatric a psychiatric book. They're doing it just, you know, PMTD isn't real. <sighs> you know, yeah. it's, it's just women being hormonal. Some women can't cope with PMS. You know, it's. There's some, there are some interesting papers out there about it. If you look at your message boards, you see that there are hundreds and or thousands of women who are not just complaining about PMS and the, and, and the support on there is so wonderful. I mean, I've seen women on there get to a point where they're like, I feel suicidal. And, and th- you know, that's obviously when they're reaching out to a message board, that can be scary. But that group has been so supportive. Uh, and I, I, you know, this isn't a bunch of women coming on here to just bitch and moan for no reason. I am on the board. Sometimes I get a little like when I'm having a good week, I'm like, I don't want to see everybody's comments because I just, you know, of course, I mean, who, wants to be, who wants to be reminded in their good time? You know, that's perfectly understandable, you know, and the supports are there. So IOPMD run seven Facebook support groups. And we also have one that's non-social media. So for people who don't do Facebook, don't want to do social media, um, called Inspire, which you can find on our website under the support tab. It's more like a, an old school forum. So you can go in, you can interact um, anonymously, um, you can ask questions, you know, and, and find out information and connect with people without, you know, without being on Facebook and it being all social media led. But I think, yeah, it's perfectly understandable that you don't want to be reminded of it in your good weeks, you know. And I, and I think there's also this kind of... Um, really I don't know people compare it to childbirth you know like in the good weeks you kind of think well it can't have been that bad can't get that bad it can't and then you hit the bad weeks again and you're like oh my god yes yes it can you know and things get really really dark again you know what I couldn't find which I think there should be is online face-to-face support groups or in person when we can go back to that, but like where you're actually in a group talking. We're working on it. Keep your eyes peeled. So we're just changing the way that we uh, run our peer support. We're changing over the programs. Uh, Sorry, we're changing over the tech platforms at the moment. So we are looking at different ways of rolling out peer support so that people can um, use it in different ways to suit them, you know, because there are people that 
are just going to want to dip in and out on an, in an anonymous basis. There are people that would prefer to sit, you know, in a in a Zoom call and chat with other people, perhaps. I looked many times. I, you know, I w- it would have been great to go to a place where, I, you know, I was understood by other women and um, it was something that we could talk about privately and, you know, in a safe environment, but it, it doesn't exist in New York. That's just very telling of, of hopefully it will at some point. I think it totally will at some point. And it's something, you know, I've seen many people try and start. Um, however, with the, the, the nature of PMDD, trying to run something regularly, you know, people are either going to try and run it in their good weeks and they don't want to be reminded of it. So it, it falls apart pretty quickly. Or they try and arrange it and people don't want to go in their good weeks. Or perhaps it's not the best place for them when they're really in their bad weeks. Right. It's so true. That's like, a, it's almost like you need um, AA meetings, you know, when you can just pop in when you're having a hard time. Yeah. And- <laughs> well, we do have we do have our peer support service can do video calls. So you oh, can tell me more and- about that. I want to ask who, so who are the people speaking to the women in the peer support? So the program is run or it's the brainchild and um, it's, it's the love of her life. <laughs> it's uh, Sandy McDonald, who's, who's our chief executive. So she's a um, professional peer support expert and so she started up this program um i think she started you know some of the bigger peer support groups on facebook you know back in the day back in 2013 and in 2017 we started up the peer support service which um anyone anywhere can um contact there's trained providers so i think we have about 70 active trained providers at the moment so they are people that live with pndd themselves or have previously lived with pndd who can just connect with you hold your hand through it pass you resources you can ask them questions you know we've got a whole database of information to to pass on answer questions clarify things you know and just be that kind of safe space it's not crisis support it is, um, you know, meeting each other on an equal level to discuss any concerns or, you know, very common questions and very common problems. You know, I can't find anyone to help treat this. So we have searchable provider map on our website, which we are always trying to grow. So if anyone has seen someone who is amazing at treating PMDD, please do submit them. We have loads of resources. We have symptom trackers, which is currently the only way to get a diagnosis of PMDD by tracking your cycle for at least two months. I'm sorry, just just to go back to that, when you're um, tracking your cycle, and then who do you see? Is it a gynecologist or a psychiatrist? It entirely depends. I wish there was a, a straight answer, apparently, but there's not. You know, you might see a general practitioner who has an amazing knowledge of PMDD, and you might see a psychiatrist who has never even heard of it. Heard of it. So that's why we're trying to build this provider directory. So for me, I, I think I was very clear cut and easy. PMDD, very um, on-off symptoms. Sorry, nothing within the um, sort of follicular phase. I think it was a pretty straightforward diagnosis. So if perhaps, like we were saying earlier, the confusion around PMDD and bipolar, perhaps if you have concerns, if you have PMDD or PME or another condition, then you would perhaps need to see a an experienced psychiatrist who has an interest in women's health who can um, help make a diagnosis so me personally my provider is a gynecologist it's really weird because it it sits in the middle sits in the middle of psych you know psychiatry and 
gynae a lot of the treatment is cycle suppression you know quashing down those that ovulation so we would recommend just getting on the provider directory and finding someone near you who's been recommended by another patient. Wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I know that that is not an easy thing to do. I did that for the first time recently, and it was scary. But the more women that do share their stories, the more we're going to learn about this and be able to help. So thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for bringing more awareness to this. Please tell the listeners how they can uh, find your organization and the website or Facebook or anything else you want to yeah, cool. So we're on iapmd.org. Uh, we're across all the the usual social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. So I think PMDD awareness is just so important because so many people, so many patients are unaware of its existence and daily, absolutely daily, hear stories about people who thought they were broken, who thought they were weak, who thought it was a personality disorder. In some cases, you know, this is backed up, unfortunately, by healthcare professionals who should have been fighting, fighting their corner. But, you know, there's so many people that are missing out on a, on a good quality of life because they don't know it exists. And once you know it exists and once you know it's a real thing and it's a biological cause, you know, it's not a choice. It is something that happens in the brain. And I think, you know, once you know its existence, you can actually start self-advocating. You can start finding out the best way to look after yourself. You can research treatments. You can you can learn and advocate for yourself. And I think it's just so important. It's important to note, you know, this condition isn't PMS. It's recent research that we did showed that it had a 30% suicide risk. You know, we have lost many people of the community to this disorder. I think it's just so important that people aren't left out there on their own in the dark. There's a really, really supportive online PMDD community that does bring people in. It's really caring and, you know, no one, I think, understands it like someone else who's gone through it. So I think it's just so important to find all those people out there who are living alone with it and just bring them into the fold so we can you know, look after them and nurture them and give the information and resources they need to to make this journey however they want it to be. You know, people need the information to make informed choices. Absolutely. No, I'm 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 I am grateful to you guys, which is why I reached out to have you on the show because I I just was so happy to see that something is being done because there are those days where you you kind of just want to give up. You're like, I can't do this anymore. And And I think it's so difficult when you're looking around thinking, you know, I, I remember certainly I did, you know, when I found out about the diagnosis and I was looking around thinking, well, where's all the people fixing this? Where's all the people doing something? You know, what is actually happening? And you're very much, um, thankfully, you know, social media makes it so much easier to, and the internet makes it easier to find out who's doing something. But I was a bit like, you know, where's the kind of collective body fighting for us? Because I don't see it and I really need that to exist. And so I'm really delighted to now actually be part of that and see behind the scenes daily, you know, the organization runs on passion. It's pretty much everyone involved other than the clinical advisory board all have lived experience with PMDD or PME, you know, and the work that's done every day is kind of, you know, 
run on passion and wanting to make things better for people because we know how bad it can get and you want to make it better for other people. So <laughs> I'm really pleased the organization exists and I'm very lucky I get to be part of it. Well, well, thank you again. And by the way, I um, I would definitely be interested in being one of the uh, peer support people at if Amazing. you need someone. I because I, especially if I can figure out a way that out of this, which which I'm getting closer to, I want to be able to you know help other women if I'm in a good place because I think that that's that's that would just just something I'd like to do. So at some point, at one point in my career, I started my master's in social work. So I do have a little experience in counseling and talking to people. Oh, amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll nap you. <laughs> okay. All right. Wonderful. Laura Murphy, thank you again for coming on the show today and everybody else. Thank you very much for listening again. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email me or message me on Instagram or Facebook. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast. And please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>